Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 23. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, my name is Mike Sims. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Grove. Uh, if I didn't meet you um, already today, it's great to be with you. And I'm looking forward to uh, getting in this uh, passage uh, together today. Uh, if you didn't get a leaf on the way in, feel free to get up now and grab a Bible um, up uh, back uh, information table there. Uh, more than happy for you to um, get up anytime and grab one if that's helpful for you. Um, there's an outline in there for our talk today, and um, we're going to uh, think about Ephesians chapter two, which tells us a lot about the type of people we are to be, the type of humanity we're to be. Uh, so I haven't got um, slides today uh, like last week. Um, we're just going to open up the word together and reflect on it. Because I reckon today our passage is one that is pretty easy to understand but quite challenging for us to um, uh, reflect on because it kind of cuts to the core of how we act and what we think. So let's pray and uh, let's uh, engage uh, together in God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can be here together today. Uh, we do pray that we'll spend some time now reflecting on your word, particularly in that you say in these words where we've heard read to, uh, today and we're going to consider now that Jesus brings peace. Help us to understand what that means and how it should impact us significantly. Amen. Now, have you ever heard the, the phrase, the cliche, the home? Home is where the heart is. Yes. It's a well-known idea. The home is where the heart is because we care about where our home is. We care about belonging somewhere. 
Let me ask you, where do you feel most at home? What is it about it? Is there somewhere where you feel, you might have a few places that you feel at home. It might be when you're in a certain location. It might be a building in which you sleep in and you cook your meals in and your family's in with you. It might be a patch of land in a part of the world. Where do you feel most at home? Because our home can be so important to us, we can even feel at home when we're not there. That we have this connection to our home, almost like it's our spiritual home. The home is where the heart is, where your heart belongs. However you think about your home today, however you think about where your heart is, What I think we see in this passage before us is that God wants you to see he has a plan for humanity and it cuts to the heart of where we belong. Because no doubt in your home it's a peaceful environment or that's when it's at its best at least. I said that and then I thought sometimes at home... It's not so peaceful, it's quite loud. Anyway, let's have a look and see how God has a plan for us to see how humanity should be. And in the outline there, you can see that God's plan brings in a new humanity. And I want us to see three things about this. And the first one in is that Jesus brings in a new unified humanity. And it's quite significant. Have a look with me at verses 11 and 12 uh, and, and see how this comes about. We read in verse 11, therefore, so obviously what, what uh, Paul has just been uh, talking to the Ephesians about that we uh, looked at last week that we'll get to in a moment. He says, therefore, because of that, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, that is all the non-Jews, those who <coughs> aren't part of uh, God's um, Uh, people, the descendants, Israel. Remember that you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember, he said remember twice. He's wanting the Gentiles, those that weren't with God, that they were uncircumcised, that is they didn't belong to God's people, that was the mark. As weird as it is, in the Old Testament we see that it's significantly identifying that God's people um, belong to him and circumcision is, is that marker. Remember that you weren't that. And in verse 12, at that time you were separate from Christ. He wants them to know, to remember that they were separate from Christ. That is, they were They're not separate anymore, we can just imply from that, can't we? He's saying, remember that you were, and the reason for that is because of the therefore. It's because of last week, verses 1 to 10, where we find out that Jesus saves us by grace. That he saves us by grace through faith. And even our faith is a gift of God. His grace 
and our trusting in him is a gift of God in which he dies for us and takes our place and the, the Gentiles who have trusted in that and are saved by that, which we saw last week and if you missed last week and, and that's very unfamiliar to you, it's absolutely foundational to what Christianity is all about. That is why we spent all last week thinking, ah, that's how you become a Christian, by not doing anything, by Jesus doing it all. And Paul moves on from because of that, Remember when you weren't with God, you weren't saved, you were separate and you were excluded from Christ. In verse 12, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And so he sums it up at the end of verse 12, without hope and without God. He's telling them, remember that? that you realise was not what you needed to be and that in Jesus you, you have a life, you've been made alive in verse 5 by Christ. You're excluded from the home, from the citizenship, as he says in verse 12. So as they're remembering where they were, he jumps to verse 13 And we see he brings in a new unified humanity. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, which he's just kind of extrapolated, if you're far away, what's going to be the result? You've now been brought near. He's wanting them to see that they've been included in this relationship with Jesus. And he goes on in verse 14. For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace. He is saying, Paul, as a Jew, all the Jews in Ephesus that are hearing him addressing the Gentiles here, he is our peace. All people, he is our peace. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds like they've made up. The Jews and the Gentiles are friends and it's nice. But if we understand the weight of those words, we're talking about two groups that don't, I haven't just be, um, had, a, had a tiff in the backyard and our friends again. We have two groups that despise each other, that hate each other, that don't interact together. Those that don't belong together. And we see, he describes it here, that what we see throughout the scriptures, that it was a barrier. And that barrier was hostility. They were hostile to each other. These humans, these groups were hostile. They did not like being together. But he has brought them together. His purpose, in verse 14, sorry, in verse 15, I've just skipped a bit of verse 15, we're going to come back to it, but in verse 15, he goes on to explain his purpose. Why has he done all this? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus, 
making peace. God's plan. Way back, chapter 1, verse 10, everything's about being united under Christ. And here he's focusing in and he's saying, so not only are you under Christ, those who hate each other, the two fundamental groups of that time, those that were the descendants of God's people who kept on getting it wrong and needed God to fix up their problems, and those who could not be part of them because they despised each other and they treated each other as separate and they did not get on, he can bring together. He makes... One humanity. We often talk in this world about the idea of us being one humanity. Those of you who are about to embark on watching a ridiculous amount of soccer at the World Cup, you listen to how many times FIFA say soccer brings people together and brings peace to the world. It's the biggest load of rubbish there is. People enjoy a game and play soccer um, and for you know some seconds there's no fighting but We want that. Lots of places we talk about the desire to wanting peace, to bringing people together. But the reality is, Jesus' plan, the plan of God is that humanity will be one brand new humanity out of enemies. And so that is peace. It is an act of reconciliation. (coughs) is an act of reconciliation see not only are they enemies he goes back to the reminding them it's your enemies because you've got another enemy god and he's reconciled that problem verse 16 and in one body to reconcile both of them to god by which he put to death their hostility Can you just grasp how... It's kind of not hard to understand, really, is it? Like other parts of Ephesians where we've had to unpack words and what the phrases mean and all that. He's saying, Jesus comes, he sorts out the problem, the world's in a mess, the two groups that hate each other, who hate God, are reconciled together, and God's plan is that there's one new humanity. It's an extraordinary picture. You know what it actually means? There's quite a few guys here who'd be out of a job. All of our guys who are in defence... You're out of a job because there's no countries, there's no nation to defend because there's only one. Who are you going to defend against? There's one. You're going to have to find a new career. One new humanity. Jesus talked a lot about peace. And in verse 17... That's what Paul says. He came and preached peace. He talked about peace when he came. He preached peace to you who were far away, those who the gospel was far out of reach, the good news of the kingdom was far out of reach of you. He came and spoke peace to you. Those of you who were near, you weren't part of it, maybe the Jews who should have known better but didn't, he preached peace to you as well. I did a quick scan I could have done a lot more thorough one, but just did a really quick scan of Jesus talking about peace. And we see that he, he um, in the Gospels, he comes and heals. And when he comes and heals, sometimes he, he'd come and say, You're, you've been healed, go in peace. Like in Mark 5.34, he said uh, to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. No suffering, there's peace. 
He says, your faith has healed you in, in Luke 7, 50 and Luke 8, uh, 48. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, which I think is the, uh, potentially the same one as Mark 5. Uh, in John's gospel, he's talking to his disciples. So maybe those, those who were needing healing were far away. They, they didn't, they were so sick that they weren't close by, but they're the disciples who are following him. He says, I give you peace. In John 14, 27, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus' instruction to his followers, those that are trying to figure it, figure it out all as they go along, is my legacy is peace. So when you are facing strife and what does not look like peace, remember I give you peace. Because he says in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that you may, uh, so that in me you may have peace. After the resurrection, he says, when he often turns up, what does he often say? Anyone? Peace be with you. Often it comes up, I've got it here, one, two, three, four, five times in the appearances where he says, peace be with you when he turns up. In Luke and John's gospel. But just we move on from Jesus saying that he brings peace. That's not all he says about peace. You know, in Matthew chapter 10 and in Luke 12, he says, wait for it, the exact opposite. Let me pull up, um, you've got a Bible there, maybe pull up Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to go there with, uh, with you, so if you want to go there, for a chance. Because he says the opposite. Let me read um, from verse uh, 32 of chapter 10. He's sending out the 12. He said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He goes on. In Luke 12, 51, do, do you think I, I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. What is going on? Is Jesus confused about his plans? No, far from it. You see, Jesus came to bring one new humanity, not on humanity's terms. Jesus is saying that the division and the problems that come, that I'm not bringing peace, is because when I come and offer peace, there will be plenty, and even your family members and others who will just say, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want it. Peace is not just, let's just all be happy and get along together. It's peace in Christ. It is peace in what he has done. And he's saying, if you reject me, then I have come to bring division. Because you can't be in peace if I'm the one who brings peace and you're still my enemy. 
And so that's going to cause problems for the world. And really, what that shows is where we are at this stage and the problem that our world has without Jesus. And so, what we see is that Jesus brings peace. And if you're following along with me as I was reading those verses, you may have thought that I kept on skipping out bits, that I, didn't, I kept on selectively missing bits. The bits I missed out point to what Jesus has done to bring peace. That the peace comes when you understand what Jesus has done. Right from the beginning, for, in verse 14, um, and this is the second point, we live in peace by his blood. Verse 14, for he himself is our, our peace, who has made the two groups one, and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, his death, the law with its commands and regulations. He has dealt with the ways of the laws and its commands and regulations, which has divided the Jews and the Gentiles, those who don't follow it and those who do don't actually follow it properly and make it legalistic. He, he says, I have dealt with that by my death. He makes one new humanity in verse 15. And then what did I skip in verse 16? And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. His death stops hostility and ultimately death forever. And so when he turns right at the beginning in verse 13 from telling them to remember when they're separate from God, he says that they've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We can't have peace without Jesus. We can't come up with another way to be in perfect harmony if we reject his death for us. But when we embrace it, we see his purpose in his death is to create one new humanity. And it doesn't just mean, so the person next to you, maybe the person next to you, without Jesus, you wouldn't like. It's possible. But now in Jesus, that wasn't meant to cause division. We're trying to get together here, people, all right? <laughs> but I, I used to joke, the reason I say that, I used to joke, I had a friend when I first became a, a Christian, and we had nothing in common. We were young adults at the time. We had nothing in common, and we used to love hanging out together, but he used to, he, he used to love all sorts of hobbies and things, and, and I didn't like any of them. And I, I you know, as you know, I, kind of did sport and that was about it as in my early days um, and he, he wasn't interested at all and yet we were the best of mates and we got on because the barrier is divided and there's one new humanity and not only is the barrier divided between you both the third point is you get access to the father by the spirit verse 18 for through him we both have access to the father by one spirit. What are we seeing? We are seeing that God's plan is a totally new way of living. That we have access to God in a way that we can't. 
He is so holy and righteous that we can't even come near him without being destroyed and yet we have access to him in peace because of what Jesus has done. And so we need to have a completely new perspective of our home or of our new humanity. See, your heart, your home is is not really where you are or where your heart wants it to be. It's not so much where, it's who. Your home is with God. It's with Jesus. And your home is at peace. Look at verse 19. Because in verse 19, we, we get a new perspective of this. In light of all that, it says, Consequently, because of all of this, this is the way we're going to think. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Remember when you weren't that? You are fellow citizens. This is where you belong, with God's people and also members of his household. To think about your home, to think about your new humanity, think about it as a household, he says in verses 20 to 22. This household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There is no longer any need for one of these. You got a passport or an expired one like this? Was we've gone through all the rigmarole of getting all our passports again. Gee, it's an ordeal, isn't it? Has anyone got to get a passport? It's quite painful. It's worthwhile getting because what you get out of it, but there's no longer any need for a passport. Because a passport gets you into another place where you're not a citizen. But there's only one place, one humanity, where you're a citizen with God in God's household, with each other. And this has a cornerstone. Uh, Now let me talk to you about building because I'm an expert at that. (laughs) I've built a shed. That's a lie. Stephen and David Freer built the shed and I pretended. But when you have a building, you have, you have, we, when we did the shed, if you ever come into our, 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 um, our ministry, uh, center, our shed that we, that we meet in, you'll see that big wooden beam across the middle. That was the most important bit to get right because that's holding everything together. That beam, those wooden beams, don't just look nice. They hold it all together. They had to make sure that they held the right weight. The chief cornerstone was the cornerstone in which everything else was measured from. That the whole building, this cornerstone, has to be right and everything else builds from out it. Now, if that's technically not right, builders, then you're wrong and I'll explain to you later, but that's the idea. (laughs) That was one of the most arrogant things I've ever said. Um, But the point is, that foundation... That everything depends upon, see, Christ Jesus. The foundation of this one new humanity is Jesus himself. And so you you are part of this whole building. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is dwelling with you. 
by his spirit. This one new humanity is transforming because God isn't just saying, well, there's going to be a time, it's going to be great. He's saying right now, transforming you as we long for it all coming together in peace, you have God who is wanting to transform you by his spirit. It's a totally different perspective of our home, isn't it? I wonder where you are with God. For those of us who love the Lord Jesus... Will, do you think I want to do everything in my life to honour and obey the chief cornerstone? Does this matter more to me than my patch, wherever it is? I want us to just reflect. I want you to do the thinking for yourself in a way. Because we've got a new way of living in this one new humanity and I think it cuts to the heart of one of the biggest challenges we have is that it's hard for us to shed the old self that likes to divide, that likes to look at others that are different to us and not see them as someone who could be potentially in the new humanity with us on all sorts of levels. It's very easy for us to think we're not like that. And yet, in different pockets of our life, there it is and it's harbouring deep down. And I want us to think, first of all, that this new way of living is belonging to a very different family. Where it's not about bloodline, but about the one who shed his blood. Anyone in Jesus can belong to this family. I don't know how you think about whether this is the type of family that you maybe would want to belong to, that you don't know where you are with God, but this seems attractive to you. God is saying that in Jesus, you don't have to do anything to earn your stripes. We talked about being part of this family is like an adoption. You don't earn your adoption, it's given to you. Saved by grace. That offer is there. We are brought together by another. Is there any other scenario when this exact group of people with all our differences would, would have got together? Probably not. Pretty unlikely. We're a different kind of family. Do you want to embrace that or does that grind up against you a little bit? Like this kind of makes you, you put up with it, but you feel more uncomfortable with sameness. Because I think we need a new way of thinking about people. We need to renew our thinking. I'm not racist, but I'm not ageist, but I'm not classist, but I'm, I'm not against that culture, but is not the way we think when Jesus comes and reconciles us together. We are one new humanity who thinks about people who aren't like us very differently. 
I'm really looking forward uh, to the AGM, not because I love AGMs, it's not something I love to do, but I, I want to tell you about where we're going next year and the plans for that. And, uh, the, you know, the worst kept secret is we're going to move with Padere to the, to the, um, uh, the one, one campus. But the reason we're moving is because they sold here. And they sold, they sold it and another school's coming here. It's a, it's a Turkish school. Golden Grove's pretty Anglo, I don't know if you've noticed. It'd be interesting to see how the suburb reacts, but this passage tells us how we react. It's great. Welcome. We'll get to know you. Potential one new humanity people that can be part of us. And sometimes, out of fear, in whatever context, we can we cannot think that way. Where are your blind spots? There's probably some blind spot in your life. It's some culture, some race, some uh, age, some supporters, maroon, no, no, um, other cultures. Sorry, I couldn't have said time of season. I couldn't help myself. Um, but... What we've got to do is see the difference. Not just make it a joke as I did, but be willing to go away today and own up to those spots in our life. Because, you know what? The church has struggled with this throughout the centuries has struggled with embracing people who are different. We're in a suburb which makes it kind of hard because we're pretty um, same in some ways. I love, one of the things I love about being one service is that we have all different ages in the one service. When I was in um, minister in a church in Sydney, that was right and good for that church, but we had an evening service and two morning services. We had, you know, you're very traditional, got the prayer book out. I even had a bit of robe action going on for that service. Yeah, there's no photos, don't worry. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, that, I really liked the prayer book. It was great, great service. And uh, the older people who were brought up in that, that tradition, it was really good for them and enjoyed it. And then there was the family service and then the teenagers and the young adults together. But it's really hard. You've got to work really, really hard as a church and as a pastor and the leaders of the church to help everyone see that they're together in a sense because you've got to broken it off. Whereas we're all together, all different ages and whatever whoever comes, we, we get in together. It's great. But I also know that it causes us a little bit of annoyance that there's times when we get frustrated with it because we do things a certain way because there's that amount of people that's helpful for them or, or that I have a blind spot and I've done something unhelpful or someone has done the same to you. His purpose was to create a new, in himself, one new humanity out of the two. The third point is, is if we look at our blind spots and own up to them, are we willing to commit to God's new unified community? Because 
we're to be drawn towards unity. Have you picked that up in Ephesians over these four four weeks? It's amazing when you look at the book. I always thought it was more about just grace, 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 which it is, but it's grace, grace, grace because God's plan is for unity in Jesus. If we think about others like that, how do we think about ourselves? We need to work hard at loving each other. Looking out for someone who maybe doesn't feel part of Grove, but they would like to be. And that's a job for all of us, because we're all part of that one humanity. Can I ask you this week to maybe go away and think about that in your life? And how you can commit to that at Grove, if if you're you're one who loves coming here and is a part of that here? Because I want to... I want to finish by asking you, does the idea of peace attract you? That is, does the idea of being in harmony something that you look forward to, long for? I don't know that I've given it much as much attention in my life as the scriptures do. I like a bit of argy-bargy sometimes. But if we see this passage and we see what Jesus has done and why he's done it, we long for peace. We, we really see it and feel it when we don't have it. We seek reconciliation in God's people when it's not working the way it should instead of making it worse. Does the idea of peace in Christ attract you? Your heart is to be with Jesus as we do that together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we we pray for two things, that our hearts will... uh, see others around us and we'll see them in a new light because of your word that you want us to be one new humanity in Christ and that we'll see each other brothers and sisters those here at Grove and we seek to continue our fellowship and unity together in Christ Amen